Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. We must go on business as usual and create a new model for trade agreements. 
but we can't have any of those debates if the cynical PAA fast-track package moves ahead. On Friday, friends of working families in the House took a stand. No more advancing a trade agenda that has increased inequality, devastated communities across the country in exchange for a program that should be permanent to begin with. That was the right thing to do. Was the TAA proposal in the fast-track bill ever adequate? No. The TAA provisions in the 2015 fast-track bill are widely inadequate. The TAA bill is significantly underfunded, providing only $400 million for training, as opposed to $575 million included in a version introduced by Sandy Levin from Michigan and Adam Smith from Washington. Pending trade deals, including the TPP, that's the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TTIP, and the TISA are poised to blow the lid off the $450 million cap. So this version of the TAA also would exclude public sector workers from coverage. This is unacceptable. Workers in every sector are vulnerable to trade-related job losses. Working families must stand together and not allow ourselves to be picked off one by one. The AFL-CIO is committed to winning a better TAA program no matter what happens to the TPP. So act now. Keep up the good work by thanking those members of Congress who stood with working families on trade by voting no to both parts of the fast-track bill. So that's important. Very important. Oh, the picture of Bruce Jenner's cat, the beagle. Dog. Looking very confused. <laughs> That's very funny. Very funny. Uh, oh, Clinton says, we should completely open our borders. Oh, yeah. She's such a wiener. Uh, President Clinton. Hillary Clinton. Uh, yeah, well, President Hillary Clinton, right? Not yet. Wished wish to be, want to be President Hillary Clinton, wants to screen people in Central America in order to label them as refugees and have them sent directly to the United States. Oh, my God. She's advocating opening our borders completely as everyone wanting to come into the country need only say that their life is being threatened and they get a free trip to the U.S. and a cozy place to live often equipped with things like flat-screen TVs, new clothes, and astroturf sports areas. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. All other types of players time. This is cool. Very interesting. But, there's a page two to this article. It says, uh, Obama has proposed such a plan starting with Honduras. The communists in our government want to destroy the sovereignty of the United States, rendering our Constitution void, and join the U.S., Canada, and Mexico into an entity called the North American Union, as exposed by Lou Dobbs years ago. Yep. And here she is. Let's see what she has to say. Let's uh, do it with her own words. Hillary the Hillary. Do you think you have a Latino problem? I hope not. <laughs> I never have before, so I hope not. Obviously, we have a lot of problems that we have to but address But not a Latino problem. Well, because because the Latino said, community has problems that we have to all work on, but I don't think I have any problems. What I'm saying is because recently you said um, about the Central American children coming to the United mm -hmm. States that we have to send them back. Well, that was a, a sort of a short circuit of what I have said overall. I've, said, I've made several points. There are two kinds of children getting to our border. There are what we might call migrant children and what we might call refugee children. And within our legal framework, uh, we need to, on a humanitarian basis, provide emergency care for all the children. I don't care who they are or where they come from. They need to be given the basics, the necessities, and as much love as we can. But we also, if they're migrant children or if they're refugee children, we have certain um, uh, procedures we're supposed to follow. And what President Obama is saying is Congress hasn't given him the resources to do what is necessary to appropriately uh, handle these children. So you don't think we should send them back? Well, because some of them should be sent back. Just because your child gets across the border, that doesn't mean that the child gets to stay. But that's, that's what you said. Yeah, but that's what I meant, is that just because a child gets across the border, what category does that child end up in? But who would you deport? Whoever
never within the category of where they don't have a legitimate claim for asylum, where they don't have some kind of family connection, those children should be returned to their families. Should we change the 2008 law? I think there has for to be. quick deportation? I, no, I, I, don't, I don't agree that we should change the law. No. no I, I think that's why I'm advocating a, a, an appropriate procedure, well-funded by the Congress, which they are resisting doing, mm -hmm. so that we can make individual decisions. Uh, you know, there may be some kids who definitely would face terrible danger if they return. Many of them, I, I met some of them at yeah. the border, and they say they would be killed if you send them back. Well, you know, we send kids back all the time. Um, and but one we have of the a things, responsibility if something happens to them. I well, mean, I think no government should be in the business of deporting endangered children. No, of course not. But that's why we need a process to determine who falls into that category. And then I do think that the Obama administration has made a good suggestion. We've done this in Vietnam. We've done this in Haiti. We should be setting up um, a system in Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador to screen kids. And in fact, John McCain over there. Over there uh, before they're being sent. Yes, before they, be, these, before they even come Before to they get in the hands of coyotes, or they get on the beast, or they're, they're raped. Or so you're dealing with a system of setting up a system, let's say, in Honduras, yes. in Guatemala, yes. and screen them yes. before coming here. Yes, and if they have... Like, that's new. Well, that's I think it's... That's why I am emphasizing the procedures, because that's I think that's a lot of people true. are, understandably, as I am, upset about what's happening to these kids. Mm -hmm. But if we don't have a procedure, it's not going to stop. More kids are going to come, and I don't know what the percentage is that never make it alive or never make it in good shape, um, but there's a pretty big percentage of kids who are treated like that. So I want to have a sensible, orderly process to try to take care of these children. Good look. <sighs> in sense. other words, is she saying they should apply to the embassy, yeah. which is what the thing is right now, this and that they're, they're not doing, doing. That's right. because it doesn't work. That's right. So they just leave. So she's saying we should do what we already have. Yeah. Okay. How innovative of her. <laughs> All right. Let's see if I just got it straight. But that's what I heard her say. Okay. You don't need to be an inside the Fed to see the data that the central bank will use to make an interest rate decision. No, here's all the data the Fed uses to make an interest rate decision. Here's all the data. It says, think, the Federal Reserve should uh, get off their backside and finally lift uh, interest rates. Or do you think it's premature to move? Whatever you uh, conclude, do so with re reviewing the economy in as much detail as the Fed does. Here's, here are updates on virtually all the reports that were presented at the last federal, uh, I think I'll pass on this because I don't need the 21 pages reports here, but um, it's just interesting that they, yeah, what are they looking at to raise, all they're looking at to raise interest rates is their own uh, greed, basically, yeah. Charging, what they do is when they increase, when they charge interest on your money, all right, uh, that's what the Fed is. What the hell? What you know? What good is this? Is this Fed? Doesn't make any sense. Mm, not know. to me, it doesn't. Makes no sense. We'll get there. Billionaire investor Kirk Corcoran dies at 98. Corcoran. 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 Las Vegas hotels and bought and sold MGM three times has died. Okay. Well, sorry about that. He had a pretty good life, huh? Yeah. Eight years old and a billionaire. Um, let's see. Pope drafts encyclical that calls for swift action on climate change. This guy's funny. He, he, he's got, uh, I got some other good ones up there. He's calling now for income equality, for global income equality, and all kinds of great stuff. The guy's just, the guy's just amazing. Uh, doesn't make much sense, but. American restaurants have granted permission to sell dog meat. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. A Los Angeles restaurant has been granted permission to consume and sell dog meat on religious grounds. <laughs> Filipino group successfully argued in court. Did you imagine that? Uh, religious grounds? Uh, oh, that's horrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Consumption of dog meat violated their religious 
Filipino group successfully argued that the banning of the consumption of dog meat violated their religious rights. Puchow the Manila Eatery and Fine Dining, uh, of course that, has been granted provisional provision to sell and consume dog meat while the Supreme Court decided decides if their case has merit. The restaurant is allowed to slaughter up to three dogs per day with a stipulation that they must be put down humanely. The World Animal Protection Agency called the decision shocking and vowed to fight tooth and nail to ensure this act is not allowed to consume or continue, rather. In the Philippines today, there is an abundance of dog meat sold in restaurants and markets, and the meat is as, is as sold for as little as $1.30 per kilogram. Um, mm-hmm. The trading... Sorry. The trading... Uh, da, 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 da. I lost my mind here. Um, the trading and selling of dog meat brings in nearly 3.8 million U.S. dollars per year, and nearly 500,000 dogs are killed for meat every year. Uh, region, oh, my God, look at this one. I can't look at it. It's horrible. Uh, you got a slaughterhouse here. It's horrible. Even regions around the globe still consume, 11 regions still consume dog meat, those being China, Indonesia, Korea, Mexico, Philippines, Polynesia, Taiwan, Vietnam, the Arctic, uh, Antarctic, and Switzerland. Yeah. Punch out the menu eatery says the uh, fine dining says the dishes will range from American style cuisine such as chichiwawa chops to uh, Korean inspired dishes such as Boston tan or dog soup. Oh, yeah. I don't want to look at that. It's horrible. Yeah. I can't look at those. Oh, dogs, uh, oh, it's making me feel sick. I don't like to look at anything hung up to die like that. It's horrible. No. Hey, did you know that Lindsey Graham is running for president? Yeah, that's the senator there from uh, South Carolina. And his parents ran a whites-only bar until 1970s. Yeah, they, they ran a whites-only bar until the 1970s. Uh, Lindsey Graham. Does that surprise you? Of course not. Republican <coughs> candidate Lindsey Graham parents ran a segregated South Carolina bar even after discrimination in public accommodations was banned under the civil rights of 1964. The revelations come in Graham's newest memoir, My Story, which was released to Politico ahead of the Wednesday release in the upcoming e-book he recalls finally his 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 childhood working in his family's bar in a rural community in central South Carolina. Ian, Ian Boner has the same idea there, Boner, Boehner. Uh, Boehner, yeah. Uh, he was he was a bartender with his family yeah. bar too. Times being that they were most of our customers were white. Political quote uh, Grandma's writing. My folks sold beer to anyone of legal age, but I'm sorry to say, for many of the years my parents operated the bar, black people were expected to drink the beer they purchased from us off the premises. And according to Graham, their practice ended in the 1970s, much later than it should have. Later, when a white patron began hassling a black patron, his father cracked the races over the head with young Lindsley's Viking helmet. Yeah, right, I'm sure. He also jokes that if child uh, services were stopped by, uh, ever stopped by, his parents likely would have lost custody, given his fondness for sampling patrons' cigarettes and beers when they went to the bathroom. Hmm. You guys are a freaking moron. And Lindsey Graham, I'll tell you, please, please, God. Don't let him run any further. You have to have somebody that gives you a few laughs. Run to the bathroom. That's about it. God. Anyway, Jeb Bush says, I would govern like Lyndon Johnson as president. Can you imagine a Republican saying he would run like Lyndon Johnson? I mean, that's that's freaking ridiculous. Lyndon Johnson was responsible for the biggest debt this country's ever seen. All right? And on top of that, he... He was so hated that he did, he couldn't even he couldn't run for a second term. Yeah. You know? And Jeb Bush wants to want to govern like him. Also, uh, you can thank Lyndon Johnson for you know social, for borrowing for uh, using the Social Security money money to pay for the Vietnam War. That's right. The war we should never have been in in the first place. So anyway, if Jeb wants to be that guy, God forbid. Why wouldn't he be like 
brother or or or, or father, you know, mm-hmm. Father Bush, Paul Crooks. Right. Well, he will. To the Miami Arrow, Bush made those comments Wednesday and said in uh, in San Antonio, Florida, at San Leo University, while speaking about education, immigration, and energy politics. Bush did not address Johnson's Great Society and War on Poverty programs, about which Ronald Reagan once famously quipped, we had a war on poverty and poverty won. Instead, he was referencing Johnson's mastery of the so-called sausage-making process in Congress. He vowed to approach the presidency as master of the Senate, as uh, biographer Robert Carroll describes Johnson. He went and he cajoled, he begged, he threatened, he bluffed, he hugged, he did what leaders do, which is they personally get engaged to make something happen. Bush said of Johnson, Bush cited Carroll's best, uh, latest book about Johnson, The Passage of Power, which covers the first part of Johnson's presidency. The wheeling and dealing Johnson loved uh, and relished is what will be needed to pass bills such as immigration regulations. That process is also how government gets expanded and cronyism thrives. Um, and um, Bush, who has a book on comprehensive immigration reform due out next month, said it was un-American to have illegal immigration living in fear of exposure with illegal immigrants. He said, and to me, I'm here at this great Catholic institution, and this is what my church teaches me. It is completely un-American to require people living in the shadows. Declared. Yeah. And it freaks me out. Mm-hmm. And these guys don't even know what the hell they're talking about, you know? Yeah. I kind of feel like I've, I've done a hundred times more news than most newscasts Yeah. in half an hour. But anyway, um, let's see. Whoa! Red Francis calls for global... A new global authority to redistribute wealth in the name of global warming. Wow. What do you think of that there? It's the Pope. Pope Francis. Are we done? Yeah. Will this week call for changes in lifestyles and energy consumption to avert the unprecedented destruction of the ecosystem before the end of this century. According to a leaked draft of a papal encyclical in a um, document released by an Italian magazine on Monday, the pontiff will warn that the failure to act would have grave consequences for all of us. And the article goes on. But, you know, the guy is just... Well... Ah, this is something interesting. Oh, he wasn't on the... um I get no. He, maybe he was sick uh, the other day or something. Yeah, we, the only way we can get to hear him is you have to get up at quarter or five on Sunday morning. Yeah, he's on. Uh, he's on the McLaughlin McLaughlin uh, report or something. Yeah. And uh, so this is Pat Buchanan that yeah. we're talking about. Yeah. Leo and I happen to like him, even though we don't agree with him 95 percent of the time. But well, we do. But he, um, you know, well, I agree with him yeah. on a lot of things, but the things I don't agree with him yeah. on, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, okay. Sure. I think he's very honest. I get well, that feeling. Well, he's, he's pro-Palestinian, anti-Israel. So I mean, that's it. for a conservative to be that way, you got I got to give him some respect. Conservative pundit Pat Buchanan is out with a column: "Is Third World America Inevitable?" Today, hailing Ann Coulter's new book, Adios America, warning that the immigration reform will mean the end to America as the Western nation we have been, and the beginning of America's life as, an, as what Ann calls unapologetically a third world hellhole. Buchanan warns that ethnic diversity will fuel racial tensions, violence, and terrorism, likening the purported dangers of immigration to Russian aggression in Eastern Europe and threats from North Korea. He, will, he also laments that immigration will cripple the electoral prospects of the GOP, predicting that it will soon become impossible for a Republican presidential candidate to win a White House bid. But he said thousands of U.S. troops uh, safeguard the border of South Korea. U.S. warships patrol the South Korea at sea to stand witness to the territorial claims of Asian allies uh, against China. U.S. troops move in 
and out of the Baltic seas to signal our willingness to defend the frontiers of these tiny NATO allies. Yet nothing that happens on these borders imperils America so much as what is happening on our own bleeding border with Mexico. Over three decades, the border has been a causeway into the U.S. for millions of illegal immigrants who are changing the face of America to the delight of those who think the country we grew up in was is um, up in was ugly. All the sides of this quarrel have been using the figure of 11 million people here illegally. In her new bestseller, Adios America, Ann Coulter makes a compelling case that the real figure is close to 30 million. If that is true, and if the next president embraces amnesty and a path of citizenship for illegal immigrants, what that will mean the end to America as a Western nation we have been and the beginning of America's life as what Ann called unapologetically a third world hellhole. Um, politics, politically, immigrants from third world countries, as they rely upon the government for food, housing assistance, health care, and the education of their children, support the party of government. Mitt Romney lost the two fastest growing community, major com minorities, Hispanics and Asians, who now account for more than a fifth of our population and a seventh and a seventh of our voters by 40 points. And as their numbers and voting percentages rise, the GOP will be facing that reaching 270 electoral votes is not only more difficult than in Reagan's day, it has become impossible. And among the myths or lies dumbed into the heads of, drummed into the heads of Americans is that we have already been a nation of immigrants and diversity, racial, ethnic, and religious diversity is a, is a strength. As the addition of tens of millions of Asian and African Muslim strength uh, uh, in the old continent that rule the world, or do they imperil its security and its survival as a cradle and heartland of the West? As radical <coughs> ethic, as racial ethic and religious um, hatreds uh, pull people apart and create terrorists all over our disintegrating world, why would we make ourselves even more diverse? And I have to agree. That was Pat again. I I do agree with him on that. This is so dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I am going to go to a music break because uh, well, I think it's time. But uh, we'll be back and. Uh, So we'll be back in about a few minutes. Talk to you then.
on the rich, Kansas will raise taxes on the poor to pay for it. <laughs> it sounds so typical now. That happens everywhere. But let's see why it's happening there. All right? Kansas lawmaker concluded the longest legislative session in state history Friday night by approving a state of regressive tax hikes that will balance the state's budget by targeting low-income workers and their families. More than half of the uh, $384 million in new um, revenue expected from the tax hike will come from cigarette taxes and sales taxes, two policies described as regressive because they fall more heavily on lower-income taxpayers than on the wealthy. And even though everyone who shops will pay the new 6.5% sales tax rate, up from 6.15% in previous years, and the eighth highest of any state, according to the Tax Foundation. The move is regressive because poorer shoppers already have to stretch each dollar further, more push uh, counterparts. It's very hard for today for people shopping, very, very difficult. They just don't make enough money to pay the balance, and they get further and further in debt. They just pay the interest credit cards. Yeah, the state offers a limited tax credit for grocery purchases to low-income families that slightly offsets the unevenness of the sales tax impact. But that credit is capped by $500 and cannot be uh, and cannot be claimed by families earning over 30000 a year. Oh, God. A family of four that earns too much to qualify for the credit will pay nearly $700 a year in sales tax uh, payments on their food, according to a, a city uh, star analyst of Kansas City Star analyst of Friday's bill that found the bulk of the burden falls on people making less than $50,000 annually. Families with more slack in their budgets to absorb the sales tax hike are also getting to retain a vast majority of the windfall deferred to them in 2012 and 2013. All right, uh, by Governor Sam Brownback, massive tax cuts for the wealthy. Those packages drove rates up for the poorest 20% of the state provided a small sales, a small net reduction in tax liabilities for middle-class earners and gave over $20,000 a year on average back to the richest hundreds of, of taxpayers. This, this, uh, this one goes on and on, but it, but it shows some other how crazy, bastard, this, this guy is. I mean, it's just ridiculous, ridiculous on campus. Totally ridiculous. Yeah. Um, Judd, I don't know who Judd Aptow is, but he says Trump keeps, Trump is running for keep me famous, not president. I don't know. Trump's pretty famous. Following his appearance on last night's Daily Show to promote his new book, Sick in the Head, conversations about... He's speaking by himself or members of his family Uh, or all all of them? Well, I have no idea. I'm reading it here. Uh, Actor Judd Director Judd Aptow stopped by Bloomberg Politics and all due respect Tuesday afternoon and host Mark Halliburton and John Hellerman wasted no time confronting him with the day's biggest political story, Donald Trump. Aptow, who actually wrote uh, one of President Barack Obama's White House correspondent dinner jokes about Trump a few years back, uh, expressed some he- uh, healthy skepticism about the sincerity of the billionaire moguls to this 2016 campaign. Trump is a worthy target because he he only runs for president to promote Celebrity Apprentice, Aptow said at the NBC reality show. He's not running for president. He's running to keep me keep me famous. Well, Aptow is a comedian or some sort, I guess, too. So let's see. Later, Aptow addressed the prospect of 2016 uh, election without a nightly voice of John Stewart on the air. I wish that they would take that. John Stewart changed uh, a lot of uh, what happened in politics, he said, but that is just well, not the case. As evidence, he pointed out that the Daily Show host couldn't have been funnier about George W. Bush, but that didn't stop him from getting elected twice. That's true. Voting uh, fraud did that. However, socially Aptow uh, says he thinks Stewart, along with South Park, has made a huge impact on a generation of young people who now believe prejudice is ridiculous. Yeah, well, good for him. I don't know who the hell Aptow is, but I don't really care. So anyway, uh, I just thought that was an interesting topic because I, I kind of like, 
I kind of like uh, Donald Trump as a candidate because he sparks a lot of fun in the campaign. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. You know, you know what I mean. It, 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 uh, not too many people really like him, but uh, you know, he's uh, you know he's, he's got a bulldog heart and he goes after what he wants and hey, that's the way he's got to do it, right? I like to see him debating Hillary. I like to see him debating Bernie. I would, would you like to see him debate Bernie? I think Bernie would tear him up, but still, oh, I do too. But still, it would be fun to see he him. He says these outrageous things and then can't back them up. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so he'll never agree to be in the debate because he'll look like an ass. Oh, he'll, he'll do it. No, he won't. Republicans 
take in the Hispanic community and beyond, we must embrace and champion comprehensive immigration reform. And it talks about inclusivity. So how does that need square with the kind of rhetoric that you hear Donald Trump using? Well, I mean, as far as painting uh, Mexican-Americans with that kind of a brush, I think that's probably something that is not helpful to the cause. Um, no kidding. I think to the issue of illegal immigration, uh, Mr. Trump and others have addressed that, that we need to be very firm on border security and look at ways to make sure that America has fixes its broken immigration problem and finds a way to, to allow for people from whether it's Mexico, Canada, Europe, or wherever to enter this country in a more systematic and, and helpful way to our overall economy. Okay, I want to ask you. Yeah, I wish you heard him talk more. That's what I heard. I was like, ah, I was listening to him. Oh, I was no, this was a couple of days ago. I was laughing uh, because he was so outrageous and yeah, stupid. Yeah, he he wanted. Um, he was talking to somebody, and he said he was having Mexico build a wall uh, on the border. Uh, and well, yeah, they were, yeah, were going to pay for it. He wants Mexico to build it, yeah. Yeah, and he was going to make them build it. He would make them, yeah. Yeah, right. Smoking marijuana is 114 times safer than drinking alcohol. Study. World Truth TV. Uh, yep. That's a lot of times. 114 times safer. Mm-hmm. As debates over marijuana legalization continues in the United States, a new study suggests that smoking the controversial plant is about 114 times safer than drinking alcohol. In fact, alcohol is found to be the deadliest drug uh, on an individual level, mm-hmm. at least when it comes to the likelihood of a person dying due to consuming a lethal dose. Heroin and cocaine were the last most deadly substances, followed by tobacco, ecstasy, and meth. Trailing up the rear was marijuana. And according to the team of international researchers behind a study published in the journal Scientific Reports. The findings suggest that marijuana risks, at least those related to mortality, are trumped when compared to substances like tobacco. And they, they show it all. They show a graft and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. It's really interesting. But anyway, just so you know, uh, what's this? New NASA data shows how the world is running out of water. That's not a good sign. Not a good thing at all. Washington Post. Um, Want to read this? Sure. More than half of satellite system flags stress. We did. We read this last night. The stress tackle for. Oh, you read that last night? Mm-hmm. Oh, we did. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'm good. I'm not too sharp like that. Sorry. I read it. <laughs> did we read this one? No. A presidency yeah. in freefall. Not yeah. at all. This always happens in the last term of a president. It does, yeah. I mean, yeah. this is not unusual. He does what he wants to do. He doesn't care. He doesn't give conferences. Yeah. He's not nice to people. And well, the reason I say that is because of this, this, this uh, trans-Pacific uh, trade policy. I don't like that and at nobody all. Nobody likes it. And, you know, well, the Republicans do. Sure they do. But, you know, they're, they're jerks. And they're, they're, they're corporatists, you know, and that's what they are. And this guy is the same. Um, if the only negative event last week had been the humiliating loss on trade authority, President Obama might already have reached the matter of his um, presidency. But when you consider the direction of the war against the Islamic State, a massive cybersecurity breach, and another embarrassing and indispensable uh, catapul- cat- catul- cap- capitulation I'm sorry, on Iran, mean. one senses that the president is a lame, dead duck. Yeah, uh, marking the time until January 2017. I would agree with that. The free trade debacle was, uh, from the perspective of Republicans, a time of uh, schadenfreude. For, to, uh, for so many times in the past, the president has ignored their concerns, ridiculed their views, and attacked their motives uh, that, despite their own support for free trade, the president lost, uh, brought a major of satisfaction on the GOP side. The posted note, the outcome was especially frustrating for a president who had spent four years unable to advance major initiatives, including a tax and budget uh, grand bargain, stricter gun control and immigration reform, through a Congress in the face of relentless Republican opposition. 
His singular ability to offend and ignore friends and foe alike has proven to be his undoing. That the Democrats sunk their own pork-laden trade adjustment package carefully negotiating by Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi made the president's predicament all the more satisfying in conservative quarters. Now, perhaps, Democrats will reconsider, for from the GOP perspective, perhaps trade authority can be passed without the union's goodies. But the image of a president doing so little uh, too late and too ineffectively remains. I haven't talked to anybody who feels... Who wants to believe in this trade deal. No. Because they they just just want to destroy it, you know, and uh, destroy the country. It's just a a horrible deal. But there's so much money behind it, you know, that uh, that's what it is. Yeah. It's a bad bill all around. I don't think we read this last time. Yes, you did. Yeah, you read that. That was a sad thing. Yeah. But anyway... um, yeah. I don't understand that. Leaked Pope Climate Encyclical. I don't remember the class of church getting well, involved in yeah. environmental issues. No, they are now. And he wants to he wants to create it for uh, those who are waiting for the official release of Pope Francis Climate Change Encyclical before believing their lying eyes, they still want to wait until Thursday to make up their minds. That's when the official ceremony with infamous climate Nazi Hans uh, Joachim Schellenhuber will be held, renouncing the pap will be held, announcing the papal plan for us to all curl up into fetal balls and surrender to the United Nations. And his name is is Hans Joachim Schellenhuber. Okay. <laughs> it's a detestable thought, and it's understandable that people would be reluctant to admit betrayal on such a grand scale. Saddam Hussein professed a belief that George W. Bush would never really execute him, one he maintained until he found himself dangling by a rope. And sometimes people are hopeful to, uh, to a fault. The Italian magazine, El Espresso, had leaked a draft copy of the 192-page document in Italian, a version which the uh, Vatican says does not represent the final text. It's unlikely that means that the global uh, government proportions uh, were just a trial balloon in the, in the sessions, sections on Marxist wealth distribution from wealthy nations to poor will be ultimately scrubbed. The substance will remain the same. The Vatican admits that the paper is intended to influence the U.N., and its member nations to adopt global piracy and uh, uh, authorization, uh, authoritarianism. Authoritarianism. Or as they like to call it, doing the right thing in the lead-up to the Paris Climate Summit this fall. It is a repackaging of the same false claims we've heard for decades, claims which haven't come true and required the redefinitions of the problem. It's renaming and constant warnings of dire consequences in the face of nothing. The same UN and IPCC lies are presented as facts in spite of a majority of scientists outside the UN cabal spilling the beans on the conspiracy. The document was written many of the same, uh, the document was written, I think, by many of the same world government fraudsters who are entrenched in the movement, some of whom will be in attendance as official official release on Thursday. The encyclical is the Pope adding his name to the list of Marxist agents, a dangerous development given his global platform, in which inform, I think, in platform from which to no. create an illusion and to mislead the masses. Yeah, I missed that. Yeah. Sorry, sorry about that there are jumbling of words, folks. There are six main points raised in the document according to Italian publications. As follows. Global warming is real, is one. It, it makes the same ridiculous false, false claims of rising sea levels without pointing out a single specific example anywhere in the globe where it is happening. Sea level is the same everywhere. If they were rising, we'd all see it when we went to the beach, wherever our beach might be. 
Fossil fuels are responsible, and we must shift to non-existent renewable energy to meet the needs it can possibly meet. The fact that this would result in needless hardship, including starvation due to an inability to meet demands, is largely ignored. Three, it's the job of governments to act, and that means the UN this fall in Paris. Global taxation adopted at the climate summit, along with the UN mandate, would force those with the ability to pay to do so, or else with enforceable legal authority. Number four. What do they mean? Government, states, or individual people? Poor people feel the impact, although there's no specifics that can be pointed to. As it's all just a fairy tale, poor people would be affected the most, and greedy developed nations are heartless abusers of the, of the helpless. The future tense is always used in, in their claims, uh, as none of these things are really happening. It's wise, the sage alarmists tell us, to throw the world into absolute chaos in order to have an infinitesimal influence on something that might someday happen to an extremely limited degree. Then again, maybe they just want our stuff. Um, well, I think they number, want your stuff. Yeah, number five, the money point. Literally, and along with immerse, immense, immense power, the real reason behind the theatrics and deception is wealth dis- redistribution. The encyclical states that the developed nations of the world are indiscriminate rapists of nature, and we are obligated to pay to clean up our mess. Well, I agree with that. We've got to share the wealth as we clean up as well. Just to be fair, the UN can oversee the operation for a fee. The National Journal summed up the papal, uh, papal paper uh, saying the document goes, does, goes after an action by developed nations, which uh, Francis says have been consuming resources without concern for the planet and the poor. Francis highlights other negative impacts of the developed world, such as the privatization of green spaces, and the improper disposal of resources by industrial activity. Because of that, Francis says that it's incumbent on developed countries uh, to consider the needs of the poor while addressing climate change and emissions. And this this goes on quite a ways. But in in essence, all he's trying to do is uh, level the playing field there. But, you know, whether or not it's going to be through uh, uh, that, I do not know. Hard job. There's one more thing. I, I don't think we touched on this last night, did we? What is it? Back I fell asleep I, okay. <laughs> early last night. I was just so tired. Well, this one here. The U.S. deliberately backed ISIS to to uh, uh, destabilize Syria. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, this this is interesting because, I mean, I really, you know, what the, what the whole story is here.
I remember we were told that these were moderate rebels, and but the U.S. knew that al-Qaeda was key. Which we funded. The second was that the destabilization of Syria could result in the creation of an Islamic yeah. state in eastern Syria. And, and here's the quote from the report. This is exactly what the supporting powers to the opposition want. It said the supporting powers were the Western countries, the Gulf states, and Turkey. The third big takeaway, and this is interesting considering what's happened in the past week or so, the creation of an Islamic state in eastern Syria would have, quote, dire consequences and, quote, listen to this, create ideal atmosphere for al-Qaeda to return to Mosul and Ramadi. See, for a while we've been trying to sort this out. Are, are these people just really stupid? You know, we go over and they were, they were supporting the wrong people and the weapons ended up in the hands of ISIS. And we say, well, they're either totally inept or stupid. But it turns out it's their strategy. You know, it's somewhat, you know, very much like the strategy that uh, was used in the 1980s uh, when Brzezinski designed this thing that we're going to radicalize the Muslims, and which they did. The CIA uh, radicalized Muslims in these madrasa schools. Hundreds of thousands of people went through these schools. And, uh, Including the Obama. Of this. So the mm-hmm. failure was actually their goal. And uh, they, they weren't there to stop ISIS, right. but their goal, when you mentioned it, the main goal of all this activity was anti-Assad, anti-Russia part of that, and anti-Iran. But more directly at this moment, it's anti-Assad, and there was a lot of factions that wanted to do this. Obviously, Israel was in favor of this. The Saudis in particular were in favor of this. The military-industrial complex was in favor of this. And, of course, the people who would like to get a pipeline to secure the West against the East, since this is an East-West fight, uh, was to get a pipeline through Syria uh, so that uh, Europe would have no dependency on Russia. It's exactly opposite of how a market would work and people who are free and getting along with people, you know, uh, uh, things would work out quite differently. So this, this, was, this was a design, and uh, it's tragic that it was. And so... Uh, it isn't stupidity. It's a stupid policy, yeah. but it wasn't that they didn't know what they were thinking they could do. Well, it seemed like they hoped they could idea? create the, uh, the emergence of an Islamic State-type organization in Syria because they knew that's the only chance of overthrowing the thought. Of course, the implications are that he wasn't unpopular, so it wasn't a democratic uprising. So he had to do that, but they hoped it wouldn't spill into Iraq. And, you know, a foreign policy based on hope like that doesn't seem awfully smart. It uh, tells you what's going on. It's, well, it's 9 o'clock, and I want to thank everybody who joined us and uh, wish you the very best. Yep. And, uh, Try to have a good night, folks, yeah. and um, do your own research. Decide yeah. what you think. Absolutely. Good night, folks. Absolutely. Absolutely. So good night, everybody, and uh, peace. Peace. Peace, peace, peace. My music would be even better. I don't know why I can't find my music. Hmm. That's weird. So weird. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.